Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 39, Beam and Expandable Spacecraft. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So in this podcast, we bring in the experts, NASA scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know the coolest information about what's going on right here at NASA. So today we're talking about expandable space modules and the commercial module on the International Space Station right now called BEAM, or the Bigelow Expandable Activity Module. We're talking with Rajib Dasgupta and Gerard Valle. Rajib is now the Material and Process Engineering System Manager for Commercial Crew, but he was the project manager for BEAM during the beginning of the project. Gerard is the project manager right now, and he used to be the BEAM Structures Lead. We talked about the beginning of the project with Rajib, and then more on what beam and expandable modules are, modules are made of and how they work and what's in store for the future with Gerard. Thanks to Max with an exclamation point and Kevin on Twitter for the suggestions to do an episode on beam. Again, we are reading those Twitter questions, so keep sending them in. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Mr. Rajib Desgupta and Mr. Gerard Valle. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circuit. Here she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. We'll talk about Beam today. Mm -hmm. So, uh, basically, the Bigelow Expandable Activity Module, right? That's right. the acronym. I yes. had to make sure I memorized that before this today. Mm -hmm. So, the whole idea was basically. It's an expandable module, not mm -hmm. like the aluminum shell that comes yeah. up exactly no. like it's sent up. This thing is expanding, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole purpose of the expandable technology? Correct. Okay. So then when, when did this all start? When, how did expandable tech come to be? Well, expandable technology from a NASA standpoint started in around mid-90s, 1995, 1996, 1996 to be precise with the Transab project, hmm. when NASA embarked in a pretty large-scale uh, development project into space inflatables and expandables. And uh, uh, and the whole concept of expandable was design a habitable structure with uh, majority of soft goods, non-metallics, for it to be lightweight. And also the other concept was to have a very small launch volume, uh, typically in the ratio of uh, 20 to 25% of the full expanded volume, which you can pack pretty tightly and then launch using minimum <coughs> storage space in the launch vehicle, in the fairing, and then once you're on orbit, you expand it and get the full volume. So essentially two benefits. All One right. Is the, uh, smaller volume for launch, and the other one is lightweight, of course. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense because you, even with a, a larger module, it, mm -hmm. it has to fit in this in the fairing, in right? In the fairing, right? yes. Okay, that's so right. that's a huge benefit because Correct. you can launch something a lot larger, right? Yeah. And then kind of pack it down. Pack it down. So. And in fact, <clears throat> the smaller ball, the fact that we could pack beam to its smaller volume enabled us to launch in the cargo uh, dragon trunk because the trunk the cargo trunk only had so much space and the packed beam was about the largest volume you can you could launch in the cargo dragon so, <laughs> i'm imagining an analogy i'm imagining like if you're going on a camping trip yeah. the, you wouldn't pack your tent 
fully, no. you know, set up in the back of your trunk. No. You have to collapse, collapse it first. Collapse it, yes. It doesn't Very make similar any... concept. Okay, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was the idea, right? You didn't have to you didn't have to purchase a larger vehicle. The yeah. it could be shipped up in the trunk of the SpaceX with fully pressurized cargo on the other yeah, side, right? Absolutely. So with that... our existing launch capabilities. Oh, amazing. Yeah. All right, so going back to uh Transhab. Right. So, so the beginning of this idea of expandable technology. What what was the project there? This development project. Uh, a little bit more. It was about basically to develop a very large scale expandable. Okay. Or inflatable, much larger than beam. Okay. But a full scale uh, space station compatible hab module to be completely made of an in, you know expandable structure. Uh, that was the whole purpose. Um, and that enabled us to do some very uh, detailed research and development and testing of expandable and inflatable materials and structures. And that went on for three years till 99 when Congress decided to cancel that program. Hmm. And at which point NASA actually uh, licensed the patent. There were three patents that came out of that whole effort. And then... Uh, after that, after the cancellation of the Transap program, NASA decided to license the patents to Mr. Bigelow in Bigelow Aerospace, and that's how Bigelow Aerospace really got into this kind of technology development. And they further developed into it into a, a, a mission-ready, uh, flight-ready structure. Okay. I see. So, so there's three licensed NASA technologies mm -hmm. that are now over in, in Bigelow's hands, mm -hmm. and that's what they use to develop the expandable module that we see on the yeah. space station. Well, they did further developments on that. I see. Okay. But they took the, you know, that was their baseline. Okay. That was their starting point, and then they, and then they did further testing and development, obviously. Uh huh. And that, you know, that involved, um, to my knowledge, significant amount of private enterprise funding from Mr. Bigelow to develop those technologies from that starting point into something that we could fly on station. Okay. Yeah. And it's a lot mostly, of it yeah. and a lot of it has to do with and we can get more into this when we mm -hmm. talk with Gerard too, but more of the uh, the the structure itself is a lot of layers. Are is that oh, yeah. part of the technology? Yes. Okay. It comprises of several layers, each performing its own function. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And about consolidating that but each one, like you said, serves its own function, so you kind of Correct. need that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, then how did the uh, concept for Beam start? When when did we start moving uh, from licensing this tech? Yeah, so that to... happened in 2010. Okay. Precisely in April or May of 2010. April 2010 when NASA, for the ISS program, NASA headquarters had what is called a broad agency announcement which is called like simply like a call for proposal okay for ISS technology development and research right and then um, so Bigelow Bigelow uh, aerospace um, did provide a detailed proposal in uh, in that call and proposed that they would fly a small-scale inflatable habitat or expandable habitat on station for technology demonstration. So that's when it started, 2010, uh, in the mid-April time frame. And then we we got that proposal on the NASA ISS program side. 
and did feasibility assessment from that, and then that's how it started, basically. So Bigelow and, and NASA have been working pretty closely then from, from 2010? That, from 2010 onwards. Okay, so, in, and, and how was the relationship there? It was mostly, um, uh, I guess, Bigelow doing a lot of the technology development, but what was NASA's role? Yeah, so Bigelow was doing most of the technology development of the expandable structure, mm -hmm. but NASA's role was to integrate that structure onto the ISS in a safe in a safe manner which does not you know compromise the safety and integrity structural integrity of ISS okay so that was NASA's role mainly so integrate that expandable structure onto the launch vehicle which is Dragon and Falcon and then on orbit um, deploy it and deploy it safely and demonstrate the technology for Bigelow. So there were a lot of, uh, I guess, constraints for sizing because it had to fit in a launch vehicle, right? Right. But then also for the way it connected, making sure that yes. all the hooks and switches connected, it was going to get power, it was going to get atmosphere, yeah, all right. of that kind of stuff, Correct. right? So then, um, I guess there were, did NASA have to do a lot with the fault safes, I guess, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, making sure that it, this is a test technology, so mm -hmm. making sure that you're right. In, in, if the in instance that there were some sort of instance where you would need to shut it off, the, I guess, were you developing procedures for that or technology oh, yeah. for that? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So Absolutely. what were some of the things? Well, you know, some of the things, like, for example, <laughs> just you said the size, right? Yeah. So the size, very interestingly enough, the size of beam was tailored according to what we could launch in Dragon. Hmm. So Bigelow came up, the original proposal had a different size. So we had to resize it so we could launch it in, in Dragon. Okay. So that's one. Then the connection, you talked about the mechanical and electrical connection. So NASA provided, uh, through another commercial company called Sierra Nevada, uh, a, birth, a common birthing mechanism that Bigelow attached to their module so that that common birthing mechanism could attach the beam module to Note 3 aft. So as you know, we have common attach mechanisms on ISS. So we had to provide that, okay? So those are the two examples of, uh, you know, what we had to integrate. But there were several other things like loads and dynamics and when it would deploy, we, need to, we needed to make sure that yeah, the deployment um, activity or the, or the deployment did not impart a lot of dynamic loads on ISS structure because, you know, when you deploy it from a collapse to an expanded state, there is some loads that's imparted back to ISS. We need to, we need to make, make sure that those loads were within ISS margins. So that, there's several other safety considerations, you know, um, flame, flame resistance was another big safety consideration because mm -hmm. the module was, uh, module was completely non-metallic and full of fabrics. That's okay. right. Uh, Off-gassing was another consideration because, again, the module was completely, uh, then external contamination was another consideration. All those, all those um, big, big safety items were really what we worked on. Uh, to protect ISS, but at the same time, um, we try to make sure that the uh, the technology demonstration of the beam module was done uh, in an acceptable manner, right? But so. it also seems like the idea of protecting ISS ultimately benefits 
the module itself, right? This this idea of making mm-hmm. sure that it's you know that it's gonna have this many loads, <coughs> it's not gonna impact the structure of the mm-hmm. International Space mm-hmm. Station. Actually, that could be translated to uh, another beam project, or the idea of making sure the fabrics are flame resistant. Again, yeah, flames in space, not yeah. good. So yeah. it's perfectly yeah. translatable to their own absolutely, technologies. absolutely. So yeah. these are considerations that you know long term could be used in you know expandable technology further development of experiment technology, let's say for exploration or something. So these are the same considerations we have for for deep space exploration. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah. right. So taking the same technologies, going further out, maybe Correct. even, I'm sure there's discussions of, of expandable technologies on for planetary bodies too, oh, yeah. and, and the surface sure. instead of microgravity environment. Right. Yeah, so perfectly translatable. Yep. So how about the um, journey of BEAM? Where was Mm -hmm. it constructed and all the way its journey up to the International Space Station? So BEAM was constructed over at the Bigelow Aerospace Facility at Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once it was fully done, the flight module was fully done, it was shipped over uh, over to the Kennedy Space Center um, uh, Launch Complex 40 Annex where um, the Falcon 9 and dragon um, launches but first it was there in the spacex cargo processing facility where we um, did a lot of the integration work the final integration work and the sensor work and cleaning we did final cleaning of the module and then put it inside the trunk okay Hmm. the way the way dragon integration works um, they integrate the payload inside the trunk separately. And then once the payload is integrated inside the trunk, then the trunk goes and gets integrated on the rest of the Dragon capsule. And then f- and then one step ahead, then the Dragon capsule gets integrated into Falcon 9. So it takes place in steps. Okay. So, so we first integrated the payload onto the trunk. That was our job. And once we finished that, we came back. And then the sp- the SpaceX team took took it from there and integrated it into the launch vehicle. Was it expanded on the ground at any point no, during this process? No, no. So it was always in this packed configuration. It was always in, the flight module was always in the packed configuration. Okay. Yes. So test modules, I guess. Test too. modules and qualification test modules were expanded on the ground. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So then it launched. Um, was it? Uh, April twenty fifteen. Yeah, actually, the exact date was April eighth. Of 2016. 2016. Yes, okay. that beam was launched, and it reached ISS on April 10th of 2016. Uh, Dragon, of course, has a two-day journey to ISS, 48 mm-hmm. hour, um, and then the Dragon got birth to ISS and sat there for a, for a little while. It's it's normal, okay. Mm-hmm. And then on May 28th is when. Well, in May, beginning middle of May is when we started expanding beam. Okay, we took it out from the Dragon trunk robotically with the SS, the space station arm, mm-hmm. and then brought it on its final home on Note Three aft. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we started deploying it or expanding it. Um, and finally, we got it deployed on May twenty eighth, twenty sixteen. Okay, to be exact. But we had some challenges during expansion. I see. Yeah. What were those challenges? Well, it was not opening up. <laughs> as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, basically, again, to protect ISS from a load standpoint, the procedures we had 
was not to open those inflation tanks initially because that would impact impart a lot of impact loads on ISS. So the procedures we had was to slowly inject ISS air through the IMV valve, the intermodular ventilation valve, to expand beam. But I guess we were injecting so little air into it, it was not. And, and, and coupled with the fact that it, it, the flight beam was sitting in that packed configuration for almost a year. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and the fact also that we were introducing so little air, that was not enough to overcome the stiction between the layers. Imagine if you have uh, several layers of fabric pressed onto each other and sitting there for a year or two, you know, they'll have some stiction in there. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole problem. It was not separating. So, so finally, we, the, the mission team, you know, was very smart enough to develop some alternate procedures where they would introduce a larger amount of air to have a little bit force to expand and slowly and slowly being surely expanded. So then, um, how did everything perform? What was the, what were some of oh, the... Oh, immaculately. Really? Yeah. Once we expanded beam, everything performed really well. The crew went in there and we introduced ISS air. We started exchanging ISS air. It was clean and there was no fog or anything like that. Um, everything, everything was fine. Everything, on, in my opinion, everything behaved as as it was as it was designed, that was that was a really good good story for Bigelow Aerospace because I think they did a good job in designing the whole thing. That's a great feeling yeah, too when you yeah. work on something for so long and yeah, yeah. you open you know you see the crew members opening the hatch and right. for things exactly how you expect. Right, right. I remember the only thing is it didn't expand initially. That's true because <laughs> the original design was made to be expanded with those inflation tanks and we didn't use it because of safety reasons, of course, oh. you know, um, ISS safety reasons. But so, so there was a little bit of trial and error in the expansion. Mm -hmm. Once it expanded, uh, it behaved like it was designed, totally. So BEAM has its own inflation tanks that it, I guess, I eight, could use. Eight of those tanks. Okay, and that mm -hmm. would be used if it wasn't attached to the International Space Station, it could basically expand yeah, it on could. itself? it could. But even on BEAM, while attached to station, the whole idea was, to expand it to its full shape with ISS air mm. at minimal pressure, and then you release those tank airs to expand it to its full pressure. I see. Okay. So first, with ISS air slowly expand it to its shape. At that point, there would be literally no pressure, very little pressure inside the module. And then once it's fully sh attains its shape, in other words, the forward to aft bulkhead has its full separation per design in the expanded state, then you release those air tanks and fully pressurize beam. Okay, very cool. So, yeah. What what inside, um, inside were there uh, experiments, I guess, to, you, you know, the, like you said, this is a technology demonstration. So mm -hmm. what, what were some of the things in the planning phase to test the technology? Yeah. What equipment was used? Well, primarily we had four, four different kinds of sensors. Um, one was... Um, one, one primary set of sensors was measuring the radiation environment inside beam. The other two set of, one, another set of sensor was uh, there to measure the deployment loads. In other words, how much load the beam bulkhead got imparted when it was deploying. Um, so obviously that sensor was not required after deployment. 
uh, that was just to collect the deployment data. Mm-hmm. And then another one was is the sensor is to um, to generate uh, orbital debris data, debris, uh, micrometer and orbital debris impacts. Uh-huh. Now, interestingly enough, Beam is in a position on ISS where the debris environment is pretty benign. So we don't expect to get a lot of debris hits, but uh, the, the, the researchers still found this data interesting. Yeah. So we put that sensor in there, and um, and then there was some thermal sensors also to measure the temperature environment inside. That's right. So essentially everything to characterize the structure. Okay. And the radiation environment, structure and radiation environment. That's interesting about yeah. the the micrometeoroid impacts. I, I wouldn't have thought about it before, but like you said, it's on the aft end, the back end of the space station. That's so why the it, you got the node three is right in the way of yeah, all the stuff. Yeah. Okay, it, it it has its own natural shielding from node two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Okay, but you're still getting pretty good data then, right? Yes, I believe we are getting very good data, and performance of beam overall has been very, very, very good. I mean, from a condensation or you know regular regular structural integrity standpoint it's been very very good and actually jerry you will know from jared valia that uh, iss has decided to ex- extend beams life that's right beyond its two-year uh, operational that, life that's so, right nice so little foreshadowing there because right. we're about to talk to gerard next so yeah. this is pretty cool yeah. all right uh, so Thanks so much for coming on, Rajiv. I just wanted to, uh, before I kind of wrap up, I wanted to say, you know, what um, I wanted to ask, what was, uh, how long were you with the BEAM project before you moved on to the role? Right, you know, I was there, I was the first to be employed with BEAM. Yeah. Or work with BEAM, and um, so I was there right from April 2010 when the first proposal came, so I was leading that whole feasibility assessment effort and everything, and then I saw it till pretty much deployment and on-orbit operation. So, all right. So I, I pretty much followed the project through uh, till it got installed in ISS and started operating safely. So you saw uh, the whole thing then, yeah, right? Yeah, basically I saw the whole thing. Yeah. All right. Well, right. hey, you're the perfect person to have on this, right? Because yeah, you yeah, saw the whole history yeah. of it. So I really appreciate you coming yeah. on today. Next, we'll uh, we'll talk to Gerard about some of the current projects and like you foreshadowed, some of the future of Beam. So again, Rajiv, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. All right, Gerard, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm glad we could actually make the time to uh, talk about Beam, especially, so we just had a conversation with uh, Rajiv Descoupt about the history, but now you're the current project manager, right? Correct. But you've been a part of you know, Beam for, for a while. You started as a, a structures lead, right? Yes, uh, struck and mix system manager. Okay, very cool. All right, so why don't we, uh, since Rajiv kind of covered the history of Beam and, and kind of where it started and all the way through its uh, deployment, why don't we start with just what is Beam? Because I don't think we've kind of covered that uh, quite yet. Yeah, so Bigelow, I mean, Beam stands for Bigelow Expandable Activity Module. Um, it's uh, basically an infl- in- expandable module, also uh, sometimes called inflatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it uh, is currently birthed to uh, Node 3 aft on ISS. It was launched on a um, SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket uh, back in uh, April of 2016, and it was uh, birthed and deployed in May of 2016. And it's currently a uh, technology demonstration uh, you know, experiment with a two-year certified life. 
And there's currently an effort to uh, extend the life of BEAM to the end of uh, ISS life, as well as utilize BEAM as a stowage module. Oh, wow. Okay. Lots going on. So after it was deployed, it um, it kind of w- went through a couple of these tests, right, where it was the, the whole point of BEAM was as kind of a test module, right, to kind of test this this technology. Right. So when they first put it on orbit, they, you know, did leak checks and made sure that it checked out fine. And then the crew ingressed and they spent a couple of days putting in a suite of sensors, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that could measure uh, temperature, um, you know, pressure. They could measure uh, micrometeor orbital debris impacts, uh, thermal temperatures, I think I mentioned already, uh, and then um, also radiation. So okay. radiation performance. Very good. Is uh, some of the data being analyzed right now, or do you have some kind of oversight of how it performed right now? Yes, we, we uh, basically get periodic uh, data reports. The crew ingresses periodic and, and goes in and grabs some of the data. Uh, it gets downlinked, and then we process a lot of that data, and then we produce quarterly reports that get sent back to uh, NASA headquarters. Oh, nice. So it's still going on then. How long is uh, How long would the astronauts be doing that? So it's got a two-year certified life, so the plan was to go through uh, probably May, June of 2018. Okay. But then ISS has shown an interest of actually, you know, they're running into some stowage, you know, potential stowage issues coming up with some oh. new racks coming on board. So they're looking for a little additional space, and they're looking at, at utilizing BEAM to offload some of the, of the stowage, you know, uh, constraints. And so, um, yeah, we're currently looking at that. And then once that happens, then we'll just continue taking data, being as it's it's already up there and you've already got the instrumentation in place. Yeah, why not? You have the two-year certified life, but then they've assessed that, yeah, it can stay there longer and, and serve as a great place to store things. Yep, yep. They're currently uh, undergoing the uh, stress analysis and fracture and fatigue analysis to extend that life, but things actually look uh, pretty good from the initial assessments. Very cool. Okay, so when you're when you're looking at BEAM, I mean, this, the whole concept of an expandable module is, is very different from the modules that are currently on the station. Now, what are some of the essential differences between, you know, your, your regular module, let's just say the Destiny, Destiny module, the U.S. Laboratory and, and, and the BEAM? What are the essential differences? So the big difference is it's expandable. So, okay. you know, it takes a lower uh, fairing, you know, a smaller volume to launch it. So, you know, this was able to be launched in the trunk of, of a Falcon 9, you know, a Dragon, and, uh, you know, then expanded to, to a full diameter. And so um, for a long-term space mission, you can actually, you know, launch a, a larger core and then expand that to a much larger module. So really, it's the expandable portion. And then, um, you know, you know most of your, like your destiny model module is made out of metallic structure, all mm-hmm. metallic uh, for the most part. Uh, and then uh, Beam actually has a metallic you know, portion as well as fabric structure, you know, uh, so that helps with the expansion. All right. Okay, cool. So is it... Is the expandable module lighter? Is it is it kind of the same weight? Um, is it? Uh, I'm imagining since it's smaller, it must be lighter, right? Well, once you expand it, you know it, it you know becomes much larger. Oh yeah. Uh, the micrometeor orbital debris protection system that's usually one of your more heavy um, you know layers because you know it's it's you know you have the same requirement, and so um, you know you, you're not see, you're seeing great uh, mass savings. What what you do see is is mass over volume. You I know, see. Uh, you know savings, and so you can basically launch a smaller volume and then get bigger once you're on orbit, and and so your mass and volume ratios are better than your uh, traditional 
you know, aluminum modules. There you go. So it's it's not just this this fabric module that expands in space. There are, there are layers. There are intricate layers in this module, right? Absolutely. So I can't really you know talk about the the, the beam layers as they're you know proprietary. Oh sure. What I can talk about is um, like Transhab. You know, beam was as Rajiv mentioned was based off of uh, Transhab, mm-hmm. and Transhab had a shell construction. You know, with a variety of of layers. So there's an inner layer. To protect the, the bladder, the bladder keeps the gas in. There's a, a structural restraint layer, which is kind of like the leather of a football. Oh. You know, I mean, high strength, uh, of course, being as you, you see much higher loads. Oh yeah. And then, of course, you have your micro micrometeoroid orbital debris uh, layers, which are offset. And then, uh, of course, you have your thermal protection layers, which are, are passive. Uh, you know, it's a passive thermal protection system. And then finally, for low Earth orbit, you have the outermost layer, which is the uh, atomic oxygen protection layer. Okay. All right. So each each layer has a very, very specific purpose, right? Yep. So. Yeah. We actually looked at trying to combine some of these layers. And, oh, yeah. And, it, you know, it, it, it you know there were inefficiencies. So I think, uh, yeah, they each have to serve their purpose and, and serve them well. There you go. Okay. So, I mean, one of the main things about being an expandable module is the expansion itself. So how does an expandable module expand? Like how did how did beam expand? So it's, you know, uh, relatively straightforward. You basically, you know, you 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 release it so that you know it has some type of, you know, restraint system that 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 keeps it from uh, expanding, you know, when during an ascent. Mm-hmm. And once you get on orbit, you you basically cut those restraints and so now it's free to expand and then you just start putting gas in, which in this case is air, breathable air, hmm. and then of course that the air, you know, creates the pressure inside and that you know, drives it out and, and until it finally takes its final shape. Interesting. Okay, so and, and that happened once it was actually attached on the station, right? You attached it first and then started pumping air into it. Yep, exactly. Okay, very cool. So inside, once it, once it actually... Once it actually expanded, I remember, I believe, was it Jeff Williams was the first crew member to, to enter the beam? I believe so. Yeah. He said it was a little bit chilly, which he's a native Wisconsin, so um, obviously he was able to take it pretty easy. But inside, um, was it what, – what, what was revealed once he actually went inside? What's the inside structure look like? So you can see the, the inner liner, you know, obviously that's, you know – the bulk of the structure, but then you also have the, the metallic uh, bulkheads, the fore and aft. And then, of course, there's a stabilization structure going between fore and aft. And so you can see those four bars uh, going between the, the two bulkheads. Hmm. And, of course, uh, you know, the, at the back, towards the aft portion, they had all the pressurization tanks, like scuba tanks and oh, okay. stowage locker and, and basically some shear panels that helped carry loads uh, during, during the initial launch. Okay, so all of that was for launch, but... It, do they just stay there after it's deployed, or do they serve a purpose like on the day to day? So a lot of that hardware uh, has since been removed. Oh, okay. the, 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 the pressurization tanks, the uh, the little stowage locker, um, most of the big stuff to make way for this stowage that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's so that's okay. That they kind of cleared this out, so you can actually stow it. How is there a plan for how things are going to be stowed? Are you going to use like elastic straps or or? Uh... I mean, because and the inside is just like this this open shell, right? Sure. Well, there's, I mentioned there's some bars that kind of go bars, between right? the the uh, the fore and aft bulkheads, and so you can actually tie to those those bars. Uh, oh, okay. So they have uh, what they call uh, M1 and M3 bags, and so they're 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 already actually have them in place, empty, hmm. tied into beam uh, on the outer 
portion and then the crew can still ingress in the middle and then of course start putting stuff inside those bags okay very cool all right so the whole again to reiterate beam is a is a test you know they were testing this technology uh on the space station because it was a great place to do so right the space station provided power provided air to actually test the the structure of of beam this experiment module right so um what are, so you kind of already alluded to some of the tests that were going on, but what what did that process look like? Did were they constantly taking readings, or was it was it more like you know check everything and then close the door? Well, I mean they initial did the initial checks, and so that took a little while, and okay. then they closed the door, and then they go back in every you know two to three months, hmm. and then pull data. They do uh, microbial swabs, air sampling, and so that you know that's all look you know great. The um, you know the radiation they had some you know passive little uh, you know sensors that that just stay on beam and, and so they have to go in there and take them back to the ground. They have other ones that look like a little thumb drive and those are, are more active and those are always on and measuring and so you can um, actually download that data. But you know t- real time you have to down leak it and then process it and then as well as the uh, the temperature data that they they, they you know, download that as well and downlink it. And um, and then, of course, the uh, impact detection system, uh, you know, that is a more complex process where they actually downlink that data. And then uh, some NASA engineers out at Langley uh, processed that data. And they were able to triangulate and tell where, you know, the module got impacted, whether it was inside or outside, and, and the amount of energy that, that they, they expect, uh, you know, hit the module. Okay. And they're still analyzing that, or are they finding... Um some things that maybe they want to change for the next beam or the next expandable module. Um, yeah, it's like I say, it's an ongoing effort, and we yeah. plan to keep keep it going once we uh, extend the life and and make it a stowage module. Okay, uh, were some of these instruments taken up on beam, and then once it expanded, they just kind of stayed there, or or was it more of the astronauts came in and started placing these things around and. Uh, and what and what parts of beam actually? So so there was a on the aft bulkhead, which the whole thing was compressed when it started. Right. And so they had some accelerometers uh, that they put on the aft bulkhead, and so during inflation, they can actually measure how it accelerated during expansion. All the other sensors were set up separately, oh, and the okay. crew went in and then outfitted the uh, the module once it was fully expanded and pressurized. Okay. Um, so right now, it's uh, I'm trying to imagine where it is on station. You said the aft bulkhead. It's actually attached to the aft side, the the back facing side of node three. Is that right? That's where yeah, the, node three aft, correct? Yeah, and that's where the exercise equipment is. That's kind of where the cupola is. They got another storage module there actually right now. The the PMM, right? Yeah. So they they actually have to move the the A red out of the way to ingress into beam. Oh really? Yeah. So that's part of the uh, ingress. You know. Uh, plan. Oh, okay, cool. So, would it be the ingress plan? Does that mean does that mean a red is going to have to be moved every time they want to enter beam or store something, or are things going to be kind of shifted around? No, that's the that's the nominal plan. They move a red before they go into beam. Oh, every time. Okay, okay. Uh, so it's kind of like long term storage then, right? It wouldn't be any kind of short term thing. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so now Beam is kind of, you said, about to wrap up its testing. Uh, we're looking at kind of a mid-2018 time frame. But then, you know, you said it's, it's, it's going to stay there and, and be a uh, storage facility for on, on the International Space Station. Is there, is there an end date to that, or will it be kind of as long as possible? 
Yeah, it's exactly. It's as long as possible. So oh, okay. obviously, once you once you um, you know put everything in there, you'd like to leave it there as long as you can. So the ideal goal is through the end of station life, okay. and it'll be dependent on on the analysis that comes back from Bigelow Aerospace. All right, very cool. All right, so the point of uh, again to reiterate, to, the point of Beam is a test. It's it's to is to take a look at expandable technology and see what else can we do with it. And I know there there are some plans, right? Because this is a this is a technology that was um, originally developed at NASA and licensed by Bigelow, correct? Correct. Okay, so they have plans for this expandable tech. What's uh, What are they looking to do? So the big thing on, on their, or near-term thing on, the, on their you know, plans is the uh, B330. So beam is about 16 cubic meters. The B330 is 330 cubic meters. So much larger, um, you know, mm. multiple, you know, levels. Uh, so it's really, uh, you know, exciting. It's it's basically the, the similar size to what the original Transhab design was. Mm. Um, and then, of course, uh, they're looking at all different, uh, a lot of different options for the B330 uh Possibly putting one on the International Space Station, oh. you know, as a precursor uh, for for other missions, advanced exploration missions, as well as looking at it for a lunar surface, cislunar, as well as Mars and, and and transit to Mars. Wow, I mean, I imagine that's even when it's not expanded, that still has to be a pretty heavy thing to launch into space. What kind of vehicle would take that up? Um, I mean. You know, you could you could use any any shuttle class, so like anything that's as big as a shuttle. Oh, okay. So um, you know the um, you know the SLS could you know take it up. Actually, you could bring it up on the on the smaller SLS, huh. uh, the Block One, Block Two, uh, and then of course if you have larger vehicles, then you know then you know makes things even easier, or or you have alternate. Uh, vehicles or modules you can launch. Very cool. So you can attach part of it to the International Space Station. There's a there's a chance for it to be somewhere in low Earth orbit. But then there's there's planetary versions too. You can actually design a an expandable module for a planetary surface then or like a lunar surface? Absolutely. Yep. Oh very cool. Yeah so there's actually uh as part of the next step they're they're actually looking at, you know, utilization on ISS and utilization on the lunar surface and how, how the arch- different architectures uh, at the Bigelow Aerospace website they actually show uh, you know, lunar, lunar, you know, uh, you know, multiple modules on the lunar surface. Okay, very cool. And there's, uh, yeah, no, there's a, a definitely a case for having this expandable technology as a, as a habitat that can go on the lunar surface or or Mars. But uh, have you worked with some designs in the past? And and because you said you were working with Transhab as well too, right? Sure, I was the shell lead uh, back during Transhab, and then of course I worked other, uh, you know, smaller modules uh, and helped them develop that technology throughout the years. Um, so it's been a big part of my career, and, and and a lot of fun and and interesting, and it's very excited to see uh, private company, uh, you know, utilize it and and launching multiple modules, the Genesis modules back in uh, 06 and 07, you know, summer of 06 and 07, mm-hmm. and then of course uh, to be a part of Beam and actually see it, uh, you know, launched and and utilized on the International Space Station is very excited. Very exciting, and and I'm especially excited about uh, B330 uh, because I would just love to see a module of that scale, you know, on the International Space Station or, um, you know, in any of these other architectures that we've uh, discussed. Yeah, a giant expandable module with multiple floors. I, I don't know what you would call it, multiple layers, multiple levels. That's that's pretty cool <laughs> to actually work on something like that. So as the as the uh, you said the shell lead, is this the is this the outer? Were you focusing on a single layer when you were working on that structure, or were you kind of doing the whole 
outside, I guess. Yeah, it was for all the all the fabric structures. So um, everything from the inner liner that I described, bladder, restraint layer, uh, MMOD, uh, thermal protection system, um, and, you know, as well as the atomic oxygen layer for uh, for low Earth orbit. Okay, has a lot of the technology kind of remained the same, or has there has there been significant improvements as you as you've been working on it over time? Um, well, you know, NASA has done, you know, some some uh, improvements, but uh, really, you know, Bigelow Aerospace, they've invested, you know, quite a bit of money and, and improved a lot of areas. And, and so, um, I mean, they're, they're, they've uh, actually made it a, uh, you know, a flight-proven, you know, man-rated TRL-9 system. So, yes, absolutely, uh, lots of improvements and um, great work uh, out there at Bigelow Aerospace. Very cool. Is there any uh, plans for NASA to use expandable technology? I mean, and I guess either working with Bigelow, because you said maybe Bigelow can can develop something and then NASA can purchase that service. But is there any any work on the NASA end? So I, I think NASA's still in the e- evaluation stage. Oh, okay. You know, I know they have that next step that I mentioned earlier. And so, you know, there's Bigelow Aerospace as well as other private companies that are looking at expandable technology. And so they're gathering data and, and seeing where it best fits in, in the architectures. But there's no firm plans like, you know, plan to put an inflatable on, uh, you know, the lunar surface right now, but they're still, it's still in the trade space. So okay. that's exciting. Very cool. So how about the relationship between NASA and, and Bigelow? I'm trying to understand just, uh, so you're, you're working, you're the project manager for Beam right now and working with Bigelow, is it, is it on a daily basis? Are they, are you working with their engineers or how, how does that relationship work? Yeah, we have a bi-weekly meeting, uh, mm. you know, for a, we call it a bi-weekly, um, you know, it's a technology meeting uh, between Bigelow and, and NASA, as well as all the different uh, areas. And uh, so, you know, we work down and in, and then in between those meetings, uh, we'll have, you know, off meetings, especially with the stowage module, we'll meet with them. Uh, you know, a lot of it's just emails or, or tele, tele- phone calls and stuff, but there's a lot going on. And, and so, yeah, we'll meet with them periodically and, and uh, you know, good good engineers and, and good people to work with uh, for the last, you know, uh, several years. Very cool. Where is uh, where's Bigelow based out of there, that where they're working on some of this technology? They're north Las Vegas is where their base is. Okay. Very cool. Do you travel out there sometimes or is it mostly telecons? Um, not as much lately. Uh, it's mostly telecons, and sometimes they come up here. Mm. But uh, during the actual uh, design and development, uh, you know, I was out there a little bit more, and and so it was, uh, you know, exciting to see their facilities and and uh, the actual module coming, you know, coming uh, and developing and being built and inspected and tested. So yeah, yeah it was great. Very cool. Do they uh, do they manufacture all of the tech, all the layers, and all of the uh, parts of the of Bigelow expandable module there in in Las Vegas, or is it uh, are all the parts brought together somewhere else? Yeah, that uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know they do a lot there, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm sure they they outsource some things as well. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if uh, is some of the layers, I guess uh, NASA technology are is any of them developed here and then and then shipped out to Vegas? No, no, they're they're definitely. Um, you know, fully uh, independent uh, company, and, and mm. so they're doing yeah. their own thing. Um, you know, we will you know work with them if we see something that that we you know think is a little risky or have a, a concern, and and so we'll talk to them about that and have meetings and, and splinter group and, and work together. And then, of course, like I say, they they're great at solving problems. So um, 
you know, we, we've had a great experience working with them over the last few years. Fantastic. Very exciting to see, uh, you know, the success of Beam so far and the fact that, yeah, let's let's keep this let's keep this activity module there and just use it as storage. And then to hear some of the plans going forward and and the possibilities of this expandable tech is pretty cool. So so Gerard, I really wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Yep. Thank yeah. you. It's, it's, yeah, good. Yeah. This is a nice inter- uh, overview of uh, Beam. And thanks again to Rajib for coming on and kind of describing the history, kind of getting the full picture of this whole story of expandable tech. So again, Again, I appreciate you coming on and uh, uh, wish you the best of luck for the remainder of uh, Beam's test uh, up through the middle of the year. Great. Thanks. Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked with Mr. Rajib Desgupta and Mr. Gerard Valle about uh, Beam and expandable modules and then the future of the spacecraft and how this technology is really going to be helpful for missions even beyond what we're thinking about right now and using them for on the International Space Station. If you want to know more, and there are plenty of other uh, NASA podcasts out there, by the way, on other topics, you can actually go to Gravity Assist, uh, that's hosted by Dr. Jim Greed, that's out of uh, headquarters, and that's more on planetary science. Or you can listen to NASA in Silicon Valley, that's by the Ames Research Center, and they talk a lot about some of the research that goes on the International Space Station, just like BEAM is a technology demonstration up there. They do a lot of science and and some of the uh, missions that the astronauts are doing on the inside of the space station there. Uh, They're also doing some cool stuff on Twitch, so make sure to check that out too. I think that's twitch.tv slash NASA. Yeah, that's the right link. Uh, otherwise, if you want more on specifically Beam, you can go to nasa.gov ISS. You can get the latest on what's going on, not only just for the International Space Station, but then also for the Bigelow Expandable Activity Module, too. Uh, we also talk about it uh, occasionally on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram accounts. You can go to the International Space Station pages there and use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the podcast like we did today. Again, thank you to Max with an exclamation point and to Kevin for the suggestion to do Beam. Uh, we can do either an entire episode dedicated to one of the questions like we did today or maybe we'll just kind of answer it up front, which we've done in the past too. So this podcast was recorded on February 8th and February 20th. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Dan Hewitt, Steve Monday, Pat Ryan, uh, Bill Stafford, and Kelly Humphreys. And thanks again to Rajiv Desgupta and Gerard Valle for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.